0: 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away, so it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. I'm pretty sure
3: that
1: the Lump Sucker, uh, we've all caught one of those.
3: Which gave you a 97% chance of just snagging one in the asshole region. Those stock bodies move like they've been pumped full of Botox. Throws
2: him on his ass, ruins his phone, the girlfriend's puking. Bent!
3: Good morning, degenerate anglers, and welcome back to Bent, the fishing podcast equivalent of fear and loathing in Las Vegas, minus the drugs and hip, cool, interesting people. As the main characters, I'm Joe
4: Cermelli. <laughs> I'm Miles Nolte, and thankfully, I've, I've never found myself in the depths of an ether binge. My my own depravity usually just involves torturing aquatic you. creatures for my own amusement.
3: <laughs> anyway, we're going to do what we do best and send all kinds of oddities related to fishing whizzing past your ear holes. It's your job okay, to snatch a nugget of knowledge <laughs> or fun fact or weirdness before it gets away and is thereby consumed by the smarter... More aggressive predator downstream.
4: Uh, oh, that image. Uh, you know, you got me thinking about <laughs> aggressive predators, and that kind of fits, because today's regional fishing report uh-huh. comes to us from Captain Zach Hammer Miller down in South Florida. And uh, if you're familiar with this segment, you, you should be excited for a Florida edition. That's all I'm going to say.
3: <laughs> the Hammer is is uh, an old buddy of mine dear friend and yeah basically um zach just recaps what's going on in his real life right his reports are based around his recent experiences uh, as they pertain to chartering part-time paying the bills by working in the residential irrigation industry and generally hating south florida and all the people that live there that aren't him so as zach likes to say buckle up
2: What's up, everybody? It's your boy Captain Zach the Hammer Miller from Throwdown Fishing Charters here in St. Lucie, Florida. Coming at you with this week's South Florida fishing report. Oh, and yesterday we had a hoot nanny of a trip with a young 18-year-old couple that was down here staying on vacation at the Club Med for their honeymoon from Choke, Oklahoma. And he called me up and he's like, "Man, he's like, I want to catch a Goliath grouper." I'm like, "Mother, we're gonna get catch as many as your." Midwest ass could handle. So we go out there. I hook him up with the rope, the gloves, and a 20-odd circle hook. I'm like, here you go, buddy. Have at it. He's like, what do you mean? Where's the rod? I'm like, this is the rod. I'm like, this is it. Surprise. I'm like, get ready. He's like, Man, I don't know if I could take it. I'm like, dude, I'm like, you gotta be about your shit. You gotta be in it to win it, brother. So we drop down a freaking 15 pound Bonita. This dude catches it. As soon as that thing hits the bottom, thump, and he's like, how do I know when it gets eight? I'm like, oh, let me tell you something. That thing's gonna get dump trucked, mother Get ready. You better eat your Wheaties because it's coming here hard and fast. Boom. Thump. He is getting yoked, dude. I come in for reinforcements on the backside of that rope. It almost spools us. You know how hard it is to get spooled on a hundred feet of rope? So this grouper, once it's done thrashing around, throws him on his ass, ruins his phone. The girlfriend's puking and he's like, God damn. He's like, nobody in Oklahoma is going to believe me. And I'm like, yeah, you know, probably not. Anyway, another bite that I heard was really good this week was the sailfish offshore in about 120 foot. Unfortunately, I was not able to attend that bite because I was busy in a 120 degree heat index crawling on my stomach under a lady's trailer in a retirement home in six inches of water trying to find a main sprinkler break. But, you know, as I sat down there reflecting on hearing how people were putting nine sails to the boat in the morning, I was just sitting under her trailer praying that it collapsed on me so I wouldn't have to live out this hellish nightmare anymore and keep missing bites. Now for this week's South Florida freshwater fishing report, brought to you by the wonderful people at the Okeechobee Water Management District. After we got 27 inches of biblical Moses-esque rain, they were kind enough to dump all that lovely freshwater out into our saltwater Indian River here, making it An absolute toxic wasteland. The water is so fresh right now. We were out at the front of the mouth of the inlet the other day on an outgoing tide, and we were sight fishing long-nosed gar coming out the inlet with some tilapia rolling around. Absolutely electric freshwater fishing, 20 miles from the nearest body of freshwater. But hey, we can't nitpick on where we're getting our reports from here. Let's just be real people. Freshwater, that's it that's the end of the story unless you want to sight fish gar with me in what's supposed to be salt water that is your freshwater fishing report for this week
4: all right so truthfully i don't i don't actually know zach i've i've never i've never met the dude but i know i know you do and i know you fish with him a lot and i i just i i have to ask is he is he actually fun to hang out with or is he just kind of a dick all the time (laughs) <laughs> that's a fair question but uh he's a blast
3: he's he really is and he's one of those people his grumpiness is endearing you know what i mean like the hammer wouldn't be the hammer if he wasn't bitching about something so <laughs> yeah, I, I love fishing with him and true story we met years ago while shooting a land-based shark fishing deal because he used to be heavily involved into that scene um and i owe my biggest fish ever to zach Ten foot hammerhead we estimated in the five hundred pound range off the beach. Like I reeled that some bitch in with my feet on the sand, you know. So he knows his shit and you can find him at throwdownfishing.com. You'll catch fish, you'll leave feeling more patriotic and better equipped to insult people.
4: I'm sold. I'm sold on all counts there. Seriously, that that's uh, that's worth the price of admission. I will I will holler at Zach the next time I feel like getting the hell out of town and being a tourist in someone else's part of the world Uh, and you know where I live up here in Montana we we depend on the tourists right like we depend on all those people who come to our state and spend their hard-earned or I mean more likely easily inherited money on restaurants and (laughs) hotels and fishing gear and ski passes and you know of course fishing guides but that doesn't mean that we're like nice to them it doesn't mean that when we see California plates in traffic. We don't cut them off and and flip them the bird like it. And I realize that that's kind of a problem. Like we should think a little bit bigger and recognize that we need them and maybe be nicer to them. But we're not. And it turns out that's not unique to specifically tourist destinations. As uh, as Joe, as you will explain in this next installment of Weekly Word, Webster's Dictionary defines fish as.
3: This week's word is Muppier. That's M-U-P-E-A-R. And I first heard this term while steelhead fishing on Elk Creek in northwest Pennsylvania about seven years ago. And I remember the water that fall was ridiculously low. It had actually trapped all the steelhead that had already run up elk from Lake Erie into any pools that were like more than a foot deep. So needless to say, it made the fishing really tough. Because there were so many fish jammed into each hole. They were like black with steelhead. That on any given drift, there was, I don't know, maybe like a, a 3% chance that one would actually open its mouth and eat the fly, which gave you a 97% chance of just snagging one in the asshole region. But it was during our struggle, we were fishing with local guide Chris Cazoolin, and he lamented that, man, the Muppiers are going to be snagging the shit out of them this weekend. And my natural reaction to that was, what the hell's a Muppier, man? And Chris informed me that it was the local term for city folk from Pittsburgh that come Muppier to crash at their family cabins and trailers and fish for the weekend. Now, according to the Urban Dictionary, which, by the way, I personally hold in higher regard than Merriam-Webster's, it's also used by year-round residents of western Pennsylvania college towns to refer to out-of-state students. To use it in a sentence... I can't wait until the Muppiers leave for spring break. Likewise, students from Western PA that leave Pittsburgh and its suburbs to go to schools in more rural areas say things like, a Muppier study in business. So the term can also be used as a general contraction of, I'm up here. Coming from Jersey, I was I was just like tickled by the term. I thought it was just fantastic. And there's some version of Muppier almost everywhere you go, Right. As an example, a muppier along the North Jersey coast is called a Benny, which is an acronym for anyone that shows up on the weekend from the cities of Bayonne, Elizabeth, Newark, or from the entire state of New York, which gives Benny the NY at the end there, right? Inevitably, someone spray paints Bye Bye Benny on at least one Garden State Parkway overpass every Labor Day weekend, and I still laugh every time I say it. Since we're on the topic of derogatory terms for outsiders, we'd love to have a few more for future Weekly Word segments, so please email them to us at, at com, and I'll come up here and check them out.
4: Moving on to trivia, where we call up people we know and talk them into playing a stupid game where they can't actually win anything but stand a pretty good chance of losing their dignity. Today, we're talking to fishing guide, movie star, and terrible boat driver, my good friend Frank Smethurst.
2: you got to be highly skilled for these f***ing shows. You understand that? Yes, I do understand. Are you well versed there? Are you very smart man? Yes, I am. All right.
4: Today's contestant is my very good friend, Frank Smethurst. Frank, how are you?
1: I'm great. I'm just nervous.
4: Are you excited to play the trivia game?
1: Well, I am excited. I'm excited. Good. You should I have be. a, mi- a mind like steel trap for trivia. I won the trivia contest uh, the trivia open and tell you I'd want to oh
4: not not to build yourself up too much we'll we'll see
1: uh, now I'm gonna drop the ball. I shouldn't have said that
4: you know I will say this I before we actually met Frank, I knew you as I think a lot of people in the fishing industry know you as as a guy who went all over the world and caught all kinds of exotic cool species from Baja to Kamchatka to uh, Dubai I mean you you've been all over the place and caught all kinds of cool fish but when we actually started hanging out and I, I got to know you on a personal level, I realized very quickly that your deep, deep, deep passion actually seems to be for native fish of your home state of Georgia, despite the fact that you've been yep. all over the world.
1: Native American fish, you know, uh, not just Georgia. Georgia's really interesting because it's got so many species. I want to say it's 340 species. Well,
4: hold on. Before you go there, uh, I'm going to stop you, Frank. Did I cause preempt one fir- of your questions? Your first question, Frank. How many different species of freshwater fish are native to Georgia? Is it A, 648, B, 133, C, 265, or D, 77?
1: Um, just like the SATs, I'm going to have to go with C, Alex. Oh,
4: ding, ding, ding. He nails
1: it. Well, and just so you know, that's debatable because there are so many really, really amazing subspecies. It's debatable on the upside. There's a lot of subspecies. I can show you some stuff that isn't in the books. You know, you get down in the Blackwater swamps. There's some wonderful hybrid weirdo sunfish. And there are strains of bass down there that have yet to be discovered and named. There, you heard it here first.
4: You're on a roll, buddy. You're on a roll. Question number two, which is kind of more tagging on to your love of strange fish from all over the world. Which of the following is not, is not an actual fish? Is it A, the long toothed snapping eel? B, the sarcastic fringe head? C, the slippery dick? Or D, the lump sucker? You want to hear those again?
1: Oh, you know, I, I, I think I'm getting a good idea about what to answer, but I definitely want to hear them again because they're so good.
4: So you got A, the long-toothed snapping eel, B, the sarcastic fringe head, C, the slippery dick, or D, the lump sucker, which is not an actual fish.
1: What was, what was B again? The sarcastic?
4: Sarcastic fringe head.
1: Hmm. That one, uh, the others just seem, uh, like better fish names by a trifle. Um, I I don't know this for sure, except I know the slippery dick. We can eliminate that. I'm pretty sure that the lump sucker, uh, we've all caught one of those. Um, (laughs) a, what was a again? The, the French long
4: long long-toothed snapping eel.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And I know it's either a or B or the right answer. That's what I, that's, you got to pick one, well, which know, is it? I'm getting close. There's a process at plates in work here. <laughs> um, I'm just going to say it's the, a, a, the a, the eel. you
4: are like a savant at this, Frank. Yes. The long two snapping eel does not exist, but the sarcastic fringe head is a real fish. Frank, so far, I think you are the old, the, the grand champion of our trivia show. Uh, thank you thank so you. much for playing. What did I win? Absolutely nothing.
1: Yeah, that's, that's about the story of it. That's okay.
3: The funny thing about this is that I was recently in the process of putting together a hosted trip for sarcastic fringe heads, and I could only get two people to sign on. Yet last year, my hosted Slippery Dick trip sold out in two days oh, at $10,000 a spot.
4: Oh, no. I'm, I'm sorry, Joe, but I'm I'm not touching that slippery You're dick, You're not Joe. taking the bait I'm, on that? I'm, I'm not touching the slippery dick. <laughs> Let's chug along to Fish News, first and foremost to educate you on recent fishy happenings, but also to see who's better at finding good fish news stories, me or Joe.
1: Fish News!
4: That escalated
0: quickly.
3: So this is Fish News, and as a reminder, this is also the Fish News competition official because Miles and I have no idea what news stories the other is bringing to the table. This is episode three. We haven't overlapped yet, so good for
4: us, right? It's, it's inevitable. At it, some point, it, one of us is going to be really pissed.
3: It, it's <laughs> it's going to happen. And every time we talk before we do this, it's like, th- this is going to be the week. And like <laughs> you're going to have this one. So we'll see. That's why it's always beneficial to be the lead-off man, which yep. is me this week. And I got to tell you how I missed this one, I do not know. But it's probably because I don't spend nearly as much time looking through my general Facebook feed as most people. Uh, it's either that or most of my friends are legit anglers. So maybe we all missed this one. Okay, But it's fantastic. All right, This article comes from USA Today and is titled, ready, Fact Check. No, bluegills aren't as dangerous as piranhas.
4: <laughs> nope, I did not catch this one. This Boom. is news then to I me. I think we're
3: good again. Okay, so, here, <laughs> so here's what happened, right? <laughs> apparently, apparently there has been a meme circulating on Facebook, and it's a picture of a bluegill replica mount, and on top it reads, Did you know? And below the photo it reads, The bluegill fish is one of the most dangerous fish in North America. The bluegill is related to the deadly piranha, which is responsible for 20,000 deaths per year. the Yeah. When the bluegill are feeding in a school, they can completely dismantle a human body in less than 15 minutes. Bluegills (sighs) are responsible for over 500 deaths in the United States every summer. (laughs) This is some real shit that was circulating on Facebook. And the funny thing is... When I, cl- I, I
4: believe it was really circulating. I don't believe this is real, but anyway, go ahead. I'll let, I don't want to jump in. No, go no, ahead.
3: No, it, no. It was really circulating, right? So when I clicked on the link to, to actually look at the post in Facebook, sure enough, like there's the official um, false information sticker on it from Facebook, like the false information firewall that I had to click and say, like, do you still want to see this, even though we've proven it's <laughs> false information? Okay. All and right. I swear, dude, I've never seen this pop up. And if people are listening are like, yeah, duh, everybody's seen that. Like, apologies, but this one was news to me, all right? And according to the story, Facebook user Crystal Bast shared the image to a phishing group recently, and it was reshared over 9,000 times. And, um, you know, here's the weird thing, though. USA Today says the meme has actually been around for two years, and this woman hmm. just reposted it, and they say um, a PolitiFact check article from last year pointed out that Ohio Fish News, where the information supposedly came from, isn't a real publication. (laughs) 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 And Crystal Bast herself said she reshared it because she thought it would be a fun joke that would lead to funny comments. And some of those comments, because I looked, include, wow, somebody has been breathing in too much car exhaust. And my favorite, <laughs> one almost pulled my nipple off yesterday. <laughs> but it, it, here's, here's where it really hits home for me, okay? Because the dispelling of this fake news was left to poor journalist Katie Landek at USA Today. Oh. And I got the biggest kick out of the fact-check sources at the bottom of the article, which include SeaWorld and Cornell University. So, like, poor Katie Landek had to actually dig into a bunch of legit sources, which is the poor woman, which is the professional way to do things, right? I'm not knocking that, but I sympathize because it harkens me back to early days at the magazines, like when you're Mm -hmm. like young and all you want to do is write about the cool shit that you're catching and badass fish, and somebody's like, "Yeah, I'm going to need you to call the guy that just (laughs) caught the world record short-nosed pig face grunt and get the scoop (laughs) on that."
4: Oh, uh, that is like you know she's the the low person on the totem pole there. And, she might and be the someone intern, that came man. across that came across someone's desk and said, "Yeah, we need you to refute this." And she looked at it like, "You gotta be kidding me!" <laughs> Clearly, this is. Be- I, I, I came here to change the world and make a difference down.
3: with journalism. This is not
4: journalism. <laughs> oh my god! I will. I will admit though, like I have been bitten by many a bluegill before. Well, but it really just kind of tickles. Yeah. You know, like, it kind of feels good. You can <laughs> you dangle your feet in off the dock, and the little bluegill come up and nib it. It's kind
3: of fun. You used to be able to do that in spas, right? That was, like, a whole thing. Remember yeah. years ago, they had, like, the yeah. minnow foot treatment? They would eat the totally. dead skin off your nasty-ass feet. Uh, the spines, I've, I've been hurt worse by the spines than the teeth. I don't even know if there are yeah. teeth. But, no um, teeth. Yeah, again, apologies if that's a thing that, like, everybody's aware of, this meme, but I certainly wasn't. I This is the first I've ever heard of it.
4: News to me, man. News to me. Um, I, <laughs> I'm i going to stick with our theme of uh, of, of, of fish attacks, okay. shall we say. Good. All right. I, I, I first came across this story through a particularly, um, I think we should just call it a, a sensationalist headline. That's From the Daily Mail. Oh, okay. So here's here's the headline. That's like Weekly World News, isn't it? (laughs) Exactly. Great. Exactly. (laughs) Get this one. YouTuber conducts gruesome experiment by pumping human blood and fish blood into the ocean to see which meal sharks prefer to feast on. All right. Now, there is so much to talk about just in that headline right there. Uh I mean, first of all, like a headline probably shouldn't go on for two lines, but I'm not going to get all (laughs) journalists on this because it's the Daily Mail. But you know, I don't know about you Joe, but YouTube isn't my go-to source for valid science. No. And and I'm going to tell everybody out there that it really shouldn't be yours either. It's well, like it, not or Facebook for that matter. Well,
3: it depends on the science. Like if like it is my go-to for putting together IKEA furniture.
4: You know what I mean? But that's not really science. <laughs> not science. Not science. Directions? Sure. How-to videos? Yes. Science? No. Uh, just don't, don't confuse those people. Like YouTubers are known for a lot of reasons, right? But their scientific, their rigor in scientific methodology just is not one of them. Correct. Also, <laughs> let's just keep going with this. Let's, let's assume this headline has even a kernel of truth to it. Where'd the human blood come from? Yes. I mean, fresh human blood is not something you can just go buy at the store. Un- unless you're Keith Richards, like you don't get human blood. <laughs> <laughs> no one can go get that. Or Walter so, from Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I dug into it a little. Uh, the YouTube video itself is titled Shark Attack Test, Human Blood versus Fish Blood. And shocker, it was part of this year's Shark Week on Discovery Channel. Oh. Yeah, that's wah, right. Wah, wah. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. It was uh, It was made by a guy named Mark Rober. He, he seems like he actually does understand science because he, he used to be an engineer at NASA. And I'm going to say that qualifies him as far more of a scientist than I am or, or than you are, Joe. Like he's yes. a legitimate NASA engineer who turned YouTuber. I, I, I want to know some of the backstory on that, but I don't. Uh, I don't have it. Anyway, I watched the video, which was predictably YouTube cheesy, but interesting and, and, and well put together. And for the experiment itself, they put three surfboards out in sharky waters in the Bahamas. One had a jug of fish blood. One had a jug of, quote, human blood. And one had a jug of seawater as a control. Each had a little pump that squirted out a shot of liquid at regular intervals. They monitored the area with a drone and counted the sharks that came to each board. And here's where it kind of fell apart for me. The human blood was actually cow's blood. all right, Because they couldn't get human blood. And, yeah, I get cow's blood. (laughs) Yeah. Cow blood and human blood are similar to a shark. Like, I get all that. But don't call the video human blood versus shark blood. That's just misleading, right? Like. Oh, that's that's terrible. I know. And in all the titles, all the coverage is like human blood. No, there's no human blood involved. No humans gave up any blood. It's just cow's blood. But the takeaway, which I do think is valid, is that sharks are much more interested in fish blood than in mammal blood. Uh, and you know, humans are mammals. So I, I think there's some validity to the experiment. It's just the way it's covered that kind of pisses me off. And, uh, so like the, the, the full on, the, the, numbers are that eight sharks went after the cow blood and 134 went after the fish blood. So that, that does say a lot. And all those people who are out there are like, I'm scared of sharks. I don't want to go swimming. I'm scared of sharks. There's so much science out there that sharks just don't want to eat you. They might bite you by accident, but they don't want to eat you. So like, let's just stop with the everyone being afraid of sharks thing, and can we cancel Shark Week while we're at it, please?
3: You know, oh, man, you're going to make me divulge stuff. You're going to make me go to a dark place here, but I can relate to this study um, too much because... Don't call it a study. It's a
4: YouTube show. <laughs> Fine. This is not a study. I- There's no peer review here.
3: I can relate to the YouTube video uh, on a personal level level because in in my much younger we'll say late teens early twenty days, I may or may not have experimented with goat's blood in the shark fishing <laughs> arena.
0: For all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find... into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at FishingBooker.com to book your trip today. And that's from growing up watching Jaws and just assuming
3: that if you put mammal blood out, it's like Shark Magnet, right? Yeah. Um, and I got this, man, I don't want to get off here, but like, <laughs> I got this from a halal meat market and processor in Trenton, New Jersey. And yeah. I, I called the guy and I was like, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a five gallon bucket of goat's blood. And he was like, you want blood? Come in, man, blood. You bring your own bucket. And I was like, all right. So I, I roll into this place. And it's like, there's like legit goats and shit out back that they're slaughtering at this halal meat market. And the guy, he didn't even charge me. He took my bucket and brought out five gallons of warm, hair-filled, fresh blood. (laughs) Like the goat was screaming as he was filling my bucket. And then I took it home and froze it and put an eye hook in it so I could tie it off. Yeah. And we took it out of my buddy's boat. And we were like, get ready, boys, because this is just going to be like, it's its like <laughs> you don't even know what's they're about gonna, to happen.
4: They're going to come a-jumping. Here they come.
3: You know what really loves mammal blood? Bluefish. Not huh. one shark in that slick. And I was like, that's just, it must have been a south wind and upwelling and the temperature is wrong. So I went back like two weeks later and bought another bucket of goat's blood and uh, still no. So uh, the long and short of that is, I've spent a fair amount of time sharking, and just the regular old bunker or mackerel chum, uh, that catches some sharks, man. The goat's blood is just
4: not worth the effort. Yep. They don't want to eat mammals. They don't want to eat you. So and you didn't have to watch that video. To- you could
3: have just come to me and been like, yeah. uh, does warm mammal blood catch more sharks? I would have said <laughs> no. It just it just stinks up your 93 GMC, Jimmy.
4: <laughs> you should you should have fed that headline to the Daily Mail. Just I know.
3: I should have. I should have. But um, yeah, it is true, though. You know the movies and everything have made it so like oh man if you're out there swimming around and bleeding like it's it's a magnet. I don't I don't think so, and, and I think it's because obviously like like all fish sharks, they're used to what they know and they know fish blood. So I mean, how often are they smelling beef blood? It's probably not as attractive as uh, we'd all like it to be. But no. um, we'll move on from my '93 GMC Jimmy to uh, much <laughs> more expensive things here. And I'm going to tell you what, dude, I'm hesitant to actually call this news per se, but this is the way I look at this game we play here. If the article in question legitimately pops up in a Google News search, not just a general search, then it qualifies as news. So, all right, uh, all right. I mean,
4: that's what we're setting as our baseline. That's good to know. Yeah, if it pops up in a news search, then,
3: then then, okay. And I did, in fact, find this in a news search. Granted, on page 87 of the search, um, But this comes from upscalelivingmag.com, mm-hmm. which, as the name suggests, is for people that have uh, more money than they know what to do with.
4: Just like us, right, Joe?
3: Yeah, you subscribe, don't yeah, you? Of course I do. <laughs> and the story is called Why You Should Invest on the Best Fishing High-End Rods by author Danner Allies, whose grammar and ability to write headlines isn't as upscale as it probably should be. Um, anyway, the art for this story features an ugly stick rod. So just bear. Yes, it does. Oh, it does. It's a tight shot, but that's irony. Joey knows an ugly stick. Okay. (laughs) 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 Uh, So just keep that in mind as we press on. I'm not going to read this whole thing because it's long, but it's a great example of an article pretending to say a lot without really saying anything at all, if you actually know the subject matter. And it it just like talks in broad strokes about how quality rods are made of better components and are more sensitive than cheap rods. And like, that's not wrong. It's just, it's saying it so quickly that it's not really giving you anything, but then you have lines like this. Okay. So ask yourself a few questions. What types of lures do you want to use with the rod? How likely is it that you'll know a fish has struck with the technique you're using? If you are not sure what to look for and find yourself in the sea of information, click here for a useful guide. It's also worth mentioning that the probability is high that you just wouldn't be able to go this deep into specifics if you are using a cheaper rod, right? But then I click on the link and it goes to a story on usangler.com titled, Best Drop Shot Rods for the Money, Our Favorites Reviewed. So, real specific. so just drop shot getting, getting just, real just drop specific. shot rods yeah. so it's like i hope i hope that's what you were looking for you know some poor rich dude bought 50 drop shot sticks to outfit his new contender because of this misleading <laughs> information but my favorite section which is also the shortest in the entire piece is titled or slugged rather what else do you gain from buying a high end rod and it reads great rods are going to allow you to get beyond the mechanics and into the fishing false that totally is totally wrong that nothing is, nothing true about no, that no Um, And they last a lifetime as every quality rod is trimmed out with the very best guides, thread, high-grade cork, as well as, and I don't know what these are, trouble-free reel seats. Also false. I break a high end rod yeah. every third time I go in the garage to throw something in the recycle can. Just like, they oh, break
4: shit almost just as easy as the cheap. In fact, sometimes <laughs> they break easier than the cheap ones. Correct. You can't so, hardly break an ugly stick, you but know, just you like, know some of the <laughs> other ones that I won't mention. You can
3: taking the lawnmower out. It's like ah, oh, I snapped another Loomis. <laughs> shit, you know. Um, and that closes out with also, while not the most essential thing in the world, they feel better in your hands and add a whole new sense of luxury when displayed or showcased. Now, wait a second, because sense of luxury is also a hyperlink that takes you to a story on psychology today called The Emotions of Luxury.
4: You went deep, man. You like yeah. went all the way down the rabbit hole. I, <laughs> I applaud your your journalistic <laughs> diligence here.
3: It, you know who this is for man and and i wish i i wish i was one of these people i think we all do it's like this week i just decided because i read something or bought a guy harvey shirt or whatever it may be like <laughs> i'm into fishing so i'm gonna dump 10 grand on every single thing i could possibly need for this hobby and then next week i'll read something about mountain biking and then we'll dump 10 grand on mountain biking things that's who this is for
4: yeah, no. I mean, I've guided this guy, and and I think a lot of people <laughs> have. The, the, this is the, I'm going to get into f- the fishing this summer, and he walks into the shop and drops just thousands of dollars on the same day he gets his first guided trip to learn how to do it, and the shop owners love, of course, this, this particular person. This they is your guy. Yeah, this is how they survive. So I'm not going to dog on on these people because they keep the industry going. But I mean, I think this is an opportunity for us to talk about how wrong and misleading this information is for people who can't afford to spend 10 grand to go fishing and how this might be the kind of thing that keeps people from getting into something because they think they got to spend a ton of money to do it and that's just it, not true.
3: You're exactly right and you know it's it's like I can't imagine you won't agree. It's like for me, you know, when you start out fishing junk and I, I still fish a lot of junk, but like you can't go right into the $1000 rod because that's a treat for later if you can afford it. That you'll appreciate more later after you've put in your time with the junk.
4: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I I, I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever fished a thousand dollar rod until I was working in the industry and someone handed me one. Like, hey, this is a thousand dollar rod. I'm like, oh no, I'm gonna break it. But I I one one thing I have learned in getting the opportunity to fish lots of different gear and try out all the different levels of gear is that you don't come to actually need those, those kind of fine-tuned elements until yes. you're a pretty good angler, until you're a pretty high-level angler. So the person who doesn't have background, doesn't have an experience, isn't going to appreciate what they get for that money.
3: Sure. And then on the flip side of that coin, right, if you are really good at what you do and you do really value high-end gear, you've also probably guided the guy who like would refuse to now use anything but that stuff. <laughs> And it's like, dude, if if you can if you can, you know, use a Winston and send a line 70 feet, if you know what you're doing, and like this lodge only has ugly stick fly rods for the tarpon, like shut up, you should be able to do it with that too. You know, know what I
4: mean? And and dirty little secret, sorry to the tackle company and the gear companies, uh, expensive gear won't make you a better angler. Yes. Straight up. Like it's not gonna do it. It's not gonna make you cast better, it's not gonna make you catch more fish. It, it, it might be a little more fun to fish with. You might enjoy it a little bit more, but it's not going to be the difference between whether you're good or you suck. If you As suck, article, you still suck.
3: <laughs> As The article says it will not get you past the mechanics any faster. If you don't know any of the mechanics.
4: <laughs> it does not. It does not. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to transition this here. I'm going to stick with the theme of junk, but, uh, but, but, but change it up. And I'm also going to stick with something that I, a, a seed I planted last week in fish news all right you remember last week i reported on scientists mapping carp scales to make super battle armor
3: oh yeah i've been making one a la silence of the lambs in the garage ever since it's on the form out there
4: Uh, yeah you keeping the the carp like in a a tub (laughs) in your basement and making them hose themselves off too maybe (laughs) all right I'm, i'm gonna stop uh that's not the only way we're using fish scales to create a dystopian future have you ever heard of temporary flexible electronic displays is that just like the technical term for the, the button panel on the toaster oven? <laughs> you, your toaster oven has button panels? You mm-hmm. do, you do subscribe to that magazine, don't you? I do. You are I do. End. I read the, uh, the
3: high-end toaster oven article.
4: <laughs> I just have a lever that I push. No, <laughs> that's uh that's that's not what they are. But I I hadn't heard of these either, but apparently we all will very, very soon. The idea is that. Sometime in the, the near future, we'll all be sticking clear plastic patches on ourselves. But instead of delivering a, a slow dose of sweet, sweet nicotine, those patches will be like little computer screens that you wear on your skin. So think of it like temporary tattoos meet Apple Watches, right? Okay. All right.
3: So-, so, wait, so wait, the screen doesn't, there's no like microchip in the screen. It's just like whatever your device is. Will project onto your skin, like it'll get, like you'll watch it on your arm.
4: Yeah, I don't, I don't have an engineering degree, so I don't know, I don't know how it works. But from what I could tell from reading the article, yes, these are these are little screens that are disposable, they're temporary, that somehow communicate with your device and and project or or receive information from your device that you can see okay. on your skin. Okay, that's, gotcha. That's my under my my very limited understanding of it. And uh, and some smart researchers in China are thinking ahead to the environmental implications of this technology, right? So these are going to be single-use items theoretically made of plastic that people wear and, and display stuff and then pull them off and throw them away. So they'll, they'll end up being like the disposable straws of the future. Okay. And I, I'm already feeling sorry for the turtles, <laughs> and I don't know where they're going to get stuck on them. But um, <laughs> according to a study... Published by the American Chemical Society, nanotechnologists are working on ways to use actual fish scales to make these temporary electronic displays. They're deriving gelatin from the collagen and fish scales and molding it into a thin film that's flexible, transparent, and biodegradable. And then they're using that film to build an alternating current electroluminescent device that continues to glow even after being bent and relaxed over a thousand times. All right. So I will admit, even though I'm terrified at the prospect of everyone around me covering their bodies and screens, I mean, at least they'll just be destroying the fabric of society, not the, not the planet <laughs> itself.
3: Well, this is what pops into my head right away. Um, the people who make glow sticks for the rave scene must be scared <laughs> shitless about this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean they're
4: they're done, dude. Uh, this I is mean, gonna take the rave scene to a whole new level, really. I mean, you can just like instead of needing those big screens up over it, people can be the screens. Like you can exactly, you can project <laughs> whatever's going on inside out right onto your chest, and because no one's wearing any shirts and a rave, from what I've seen, and and it's gonna get ugly.
3: Every casino in Vegas is already pre-ordered. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully the thing, <laughs> hopefully
4: they're getting the, the fish scales ones and not the plastic ones that's what i'm gonna right. say
3: and then the other thing that, that comes to mind is i would have to assume that that the uh, tilapia processors and gorton's fishermen's of the world are going to benefit here because that's probably where they Absolutely. get their scale
4: supply right that's right that's right those scales are going to be put to good use they're not just gonna be ground up into meal anymore all right, that brings us to the end of Fish News, but before we move on, we have an update for you that's uh, it's kind of a bummer.
3: Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're rolling into That's My Bar here, uh, which we know you guys love. You've been sending a lot of great feedback, and this little closing note on news sort of ties back to our very first installment of That's My Bar.
4: You might remember that uh, I shouted out the Sip and Dip in Great Falls, which is one of my favorite bars of all time, and I mentioned Piano Pat, the woman who's been playing music there for half a century now. And uh, listener, Matt Bradley wrote to tell us recently piano Pat had kind of a nasty fall, broke a hip, got a little bit of a brain bleed, a uh, kind of a scary situation. Sounds like she's making a recovery and she's doing well, but she could use a little help with her medical bills. So they set up a GoFundMe account and both Joe and I have contributed to that.
3: Yes, I had to help because I've never actually been to this bar or met Piano Pat, and I that that can't be that way. Like, I have to eventually get out there with you and listen to Piano Pat play. So, speedy recovery, Pat. We're never going to get back to doing what you love. And on that note, uh, let's go drink somewhere else this week.
4: Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. I've only been to Key West once. And that was for my cousin's wedding. At first, I was kind of pissed at him for getting hitched all the way down in Florida until I realized that the wedding was going down in May and lined up perfectly with the front end of tarpon season. At that point, all was forgiven. Once we got through the nuptials, the reception, and the after-after party at a drag show on Duval Street, the family all drifted back to their respective corners of the country. I stuck around for a few days to fish sleeping in a hotel room that cost more than a half day's guide wages and still smelled like Neptune's jockstrap. But I did catch a couple tarpon and landed my first permit, so it was definitely worth it. According to my good friend Tosh Brown, however, I missed out on one of Key West's absolute best features. Tosh's nomination for That's My Bar goes like this. The Green Parrot in Key West. Just as many bikers and trashy hoes as any other bar on Duval, but it's not on Duval, so there's a cool factor that applies. Better yet, not many cruise ship passengers go there because it's a long hot walk from the dock and that tends to melt gelatinous orbs wearing black socks and hibiscus tunics. Plus, they claim it's the oldest bar in the Keys, so that's worth something. After hearing this glowing recommendation and doing a little research, I feel like I kind of blew it not hitting this bar up. The Green Parrot's motto is a sunny place for shady people, which I love, and it kind of seems like that could apply to all of Key West, so... Maybe the bar is emblematic of that whole place. It's been around since 1850 when it was a little speakeasy in the back room of a Cuban grocery. Since then, it's catered to sailors, hippies, commercial shrimpers, drug smugglers, and now, of course, tourists. Thanks, Tosh, for contributing to what is sure to become one of the most valuable informational resources in the modern world. And remember, we need your help to compile our list of the best fishing bars on the planet. Email us at bent at the com and tell us why your favorite drinking establishment deserves honorable mention.
3: I love how you describe the hotel you stayed in as smelling like Neptune's jockstrap.
4: You like that? Because you I like
3: understand that? exactly what you mean. I've stayed in so many shitty motels, it's unreal, but there are a few in the keys, Both. easily in my top five. Oh, they're so bad. And the, the worst, right? The worst was so infested with biting insects that every oh. night I would literally build a barricade of off insect <laughs> repellent wipes around the mattress which subsequently I believe
4: was filled with straw. Oh, but the barracuda
3: man. fishing out back was real good so oh, whatever God. I mean you go for the fishing <laughs> and the
4: drinking you don't go for the accommodations. So was was the item that we we're, we're just about to cover and get to in, in this week's sale bin hanging on <laughs> on the wall of that place by chance <laughs> no
3: uh but it could have been it, it would not have been out of place uh it sounds like it you know hey folks call your bank hot item okay on the auction block today <laughs> you're
4: not gonna want to miss this one
3: price recently reduced this is the sale bin
4: well, why
2: did you put the head in the paper you don't know what i'm getting at. what well, you
3: you didn't have to be so hurtful with me so angry So this comes from a seller in uh, Pasadena, Maryland, and it's possible based on the item that he actually might've thought he lived in Pasadena, California, where such an item might have been more appropriate. I don't know, but we have for the low price of $495, a white marlin fish mount, but wait, because there's so much goddamn more, Um, (laughs) a white marlin fish mount done in sunset colors. I
4: don't know if I'd call that
3: sunset. I mean,
4: <laughs> but it is certainly not natural color. I can tell you that.
3: Yeah, I looked at it and I was like, "Sunset colors, otherwise, uh, otherwise known as wrong, <laughs> just completely <laughs> inaccurate." So the, the the fins and the stripes, like the accent blues and aquas, are accurate. But if you could picture this, anything that would have been white or silver or lightly colored is painted like. Ne-
4: screaming neon pink and and neon orange. It, it I mean it blends, <laughs> right? You got to go from south to north on this thing <laughs> from from the bottom from the belly up toward the dorsal it blends not at all seamlessly from hot orange to bright pink into sort of an indigo purple. Well, it's this is really something else. This is what happened here, right?
3: How the decision was made at the time. So, we assume that someone in the time space continuum caught the white marlin, was proud of the white marlin, decided they needed a, a mount of the white marlin, and then got to sunset colors, which I'm sure at the time just sounded brilliant. But it's one of those pieces that for the years following, you look at and question. Every single day. Like, every time somebody comes over, you're like, dude, you see that? Just sun, sunset. I got, I got the sunset colors, man. It's pretty dope, right? People are just like, yeah.
4: Yep. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I get it. I was I was 15 once, and I, I bought myself a Sunburst Stratocaster exactly. thinking that that was really, really cool, because I, I was maybe doing a fair amount of acid at the time. And, and I thought that would be a great idea. My only hope is that whoever was on this charter boat was also doing a fair amount of acid. And this is how the fish looked in oh, their memory of the trip. As it leapt with yes. back backlit, out, backlit, and they're like, bro, it was well, I gotta capture so that. trippy. That's I want to remember that for ever. incredible
1: Emper. thing
3: I've ever seen in my life, bro. I mean, I'm going to paint it just like that, bro. <laughs> and he followed through, so good on him. I mean, he followed through. Uh, it, 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 it it takes me back. Do you remember, uh, this has got to be going back 15 years ago, but it was sort of on trend for certain uh, replica houses in Florida to do like those tattoo flame schemes on fish. Do you remember that?
4: Oh, thankfully I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. I, I must have missed that particular trend, and I'm not sorry.
3: <laughs> like, the back half of the fish would be one solid color, and the whole head was just like racing-slash-tattoo flames. <laughs> that was a thing that they offered. So I will say this. If nothing else, at least this is not a mass-produced color scheme like the flames. Like, it is an original, right? <laughs> I mean, it pro- probably, probably is one of a kind. So... Um, if you have $495 kicking around, I would, I would look this one up on Facebook marketplace because I'm sure, I'm sure it won't last long, even though it has already lasted over, uh, two weeks but hey hey,
4: guess what (laughs) it's reduced from 800 so you're really getting a screaming deal the time is now
3: you could get this guy down to 310 like guaranteed no doubt (laughs) anyway we love the junk we love the weird sales so if you uh find some online in your area some some weird odd fishing things for uh, purchase, do please send us the links at bent at so that we can uh, make fun of people where you live here on our show. Hey, we're coming to the end here, and that means it's time for end of the line, probably the most critical segment in this entire podcast, because yes. without it, how the hell would you know what to tie on this weekend? <laughs> miles is taking the lead on this one and i concur with his choice it deserves to be here
4: you're damn right it deserves to be here Mm -hmm. Uh, although i wouldn't take our uh end of line segment as the only thing you should fish over the weekend but there are certain lures (laughs) that just seem like they get lost in the couch cushions of, of fishing history right and and then exactly just because we get distracted by the shiny new bait drop doesn't mean that those classic lures stop working they're still damn good
1: Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert.
4: Spinner baits are great lures for kids. Cast it out, reel it in, and there's a pretty good chance something will take a whack at it. Plus, they usually just have the one hook, so they don't hang up too easily, and chances of an easily distracted or maybe uncoordinated child burying the point somewhere painful is lower than, say, an inline spinner. Like the meps I sunk in my father's face when I was seven. Sorry about that, Dad. But while spinnerbaits remain staples in any serious freshwater angler's arsenal, another type of safety pin style lures seems relegated to the kids' table. I'm talking about the beetle spin. You remember those? Beetle spins used to take up prime real estate in my boxes before I got all sophisticated, somewhere in my late teens. Legend has it that the beetle spin was invented by a guy named Chuck Woods. Woods was part of a crew of progressive bass anglers who hung around Fink's tackle shop on the Kansas side of Kansas City in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Woods and his buddies are often credited with inventing finesse bass fishing. I mean, I, I suspect that plenty of other anglers in other parts of the country independently figured out that fishing slower and more delicately pays off, but it's also fair to say that Woods was an innovator in the sport. His invention of the beetle spin alone bestows Hall of Fame status in my eyes. You'd have a hard time finding a simpler lure than the Beetle Spin. It can be fished at virtually any speed with any retrieve, and it still produces. Burn it, crawl it, bump it, troll it, jig it, fish bite it. That sheer versatility may be the reason it's often associated with tackle boxes owned by people under 16. But there's also this inherent goofiness of the Beetle Spin. It doesn't have the molded, skirted elegance of a grown-up spinnerbait, or the sleek simplicity of an inline spinner. It certainly isn't near as highbrow as a box of complex cranks, and it doesn't offer a fraction of the rigging options you'll find in a sack of Senkos. One might argue that the Beetle Spin isn't even really its own bait. It's a spinner arm, attached to a jig head, tip with a split-tail grub. It's a Frankenstein of spare parts, easily assembled for less than a dollar. So why would any idiot buy a Beetle Spin? All right, First off, name brand Beetle Spins still sell for under 2 bucks, so you're not breaking the bank either way. Second, I have experimented with just about every permutation of soft plastic trailer, and I'm convinced that the original, narrow-bodied split tail outperforms all the others in just about every situation. I cannot explain why. Those stock bodies move like they've been pumped full of Botox. They pretty much starfish their way back to the boat, no matter what you do to them. A curly or paddle tail would impart a heck of a lot more action, but in my personal experience, they catch fewer fish. So I keep buying the real beetle spins just to get my hands on those lifeless bodies. My one and only complaint about beetle spins is that Johnson quit making the magnum size sometime in the late 80s or or early 90s. I'm not sure. Believe it or not, I caught my first muskie on a magnum beetle spin, orange with black stripes, of course, and that bait pinned more pike than any other throughout my childhood. So Johnson, if you're listening, bring back the magnum, please. For those of you out there who, like me, stopped reaching for beetle spins right around the time you started getting interested in the Spice Channel, I suggest you revisit your roots. From bluegill to crappie to bass to sea trout to redfish to pike, the things just work. Before we go, a toast to some good news, finally, in reference to what's generally known as the pebble mine. On Monday, the Army Corps of Engineers did not issue the permit Northern Dynasty Minerals requested to mine the headwaters of Bristol Bay, Alaska. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you have not been paying attention for the past decade or so, but that's all right. You can read all the details about this in Sam Lundgren's excellent series of articles covering the situation at MeatEater.com. Bristol Bay is the reason that I'm here, making this sometimes silly, And sometimes serious podcast about fishing, an activity that is itself sometimes silly and sometimes serious. I got my first guiding job at a lodge up a river that feeds Bristol Bay 14 years ago, the year after Northern Dynasty discovered the Pebble Deposit. I got to spend four months out of the year living in waiters, drinking tent warm beer, trying to keep my clients from pissing off brown bears, and standing beside those clients as they caught what were often the biggest fish of their lives. Massive rainbows, Dolly Varden, Arctic crailing, pike, and of course, wild native Pacific salmon. In addition to the fish and the bears, so very many bears, I saw wolves, moose, caribou, lynx, even a wolverine. For a young man whose gray matter folds were sculpted on stories of wild fishing in Alaska, developing an intimate relationship with that place was one of the most significant opportunities of my life. I knew the exact gravel bars the sockeye would funnel across, which sloughs the chums liked to spawn in, the big flats where the fire engine red kings dug their reds, the pounded down spots on a bank where one bear's territory ended and another's began. I knew the seams where early season trout stacked up to feed on juvenile lampreys and migrating smolt, the water temperature at which the caddis would hatch and the rainbows would start eating mice. I was lucky enough to get to know the circulatory rhythms of one of the most incredible places in North America. Those years inspired me so much that I wrote a book about one of them, and that book jump-started my career as an outdoor writer. Today, I get to feel inspired again because a coalition of people, some of whom can barely agree on the color of the sky, were able to agree that this place is too valuable to risk and stood up for it. I would like to thank everyone who dug in on this, who made noise, who worked to stop it. So many quote-unquote wins in our current culture go to one side or another. But I genuinely believe that this is a win for all of us. At least all of us who care about fish and wilderness. So, thank you and salute. That's it for this week. To, uh, to put it in Cliff's Notes form for for those of you who just barely got through school like we did you just <laughs> learned how to piss off people in erie pennsylvania where to drink in key west if you don't give a shit about key lime pie which i don't or mardi gras beads which i do a little and the joe is all about slippery dicks
3: I <laughs> uh, yeah uh, all true things just got said there and you know we are an educational <laughs> program really it's reading rainbow for anglers but you don't have to take my word for it just read our reviews which we could use more of. Please. So what I'm saying what I'm saying there is, please leave us a review. If you like what you're hearing, or if you hate it, for that matter, let us know by sending an email to bent at meateater.com. We are civil servants of the fishing community and love feedback from you guys. <laughs> Tell us what you like, what you don't, what you'd
4: like to hear, and we'll do our best to deliver the goods. We hope you guys are hitting the water this weekend, and if so, hit us up. Let us know how it went. Yeah, I'm sure all those sunset shots
3: will be breathtaking.
0: You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com they've got ranches forests mountains streams you name it search by acreage you can search by location you can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of land.com it is where the adventure begins hey we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries now if you're like me enjoying the great outdoors you need gear that is as reliable as it gets that's why i power my adventures with interstate batteries